0: the road just pivot and go just pivot and go rob wolf welcome to the podcast my brother hey i feel like i have known you for a long time this has been a long time in the making we haven't officially hung out but you're one of my one of my good friends via this this uh this zoom world i guess you would call it so thank you for coming Zoom on. Zoom pals. Zoom pals. That's a good
1: name. I, I am honored. I uh, I will bring down property values anywhere that people allow me. So it's a it's a huge <laughs> honor to be here. Thank you.
0: Awesome, man. Well, hey, anytime we bring someone on this podcast, they have done amazing things. And, and i like to first start it off as, as uh, something different. So start us off with a bang, Rob. Everybody knows about you as this paleo mastermind and founder of an awesome company element, which we'll talk about, but, but something a little bit different.
1: Um, it's maybe a little bit in the paleo genre, but I think I still have the Boone and Crockett world record for the largest land animal taken with an atlatl, which is a hand-thrown spear. And this was part of a Discovery Channel reality show called I Caveman" that that aired like literally, I, I think almost a year, uh, 10 years to the day ago today, right around here, definitely aired in October, and uh, we were a mix of people with some primitive skill stuff, and then like some pretty standard LA uh, uh, act, actor and actress, you know, uh, aspiring individuals, And they put 10 of us together, five males, five females, and we had to live for two weeks with Stone Age tools. And we fashioned our own atlottles and we were provided like, uh, you know, skins to wear and all that stuff. We had to start fire with a, uh, a hand drill that we had to make and everything. And so I started the fire for us the first day. And then on day 10, I took down a 648 pound elk with a hand thrown spear, basically from about 35 yards. Oh. And I think it's still a world record for that.
0: Oh, my goodness, Rob. We got to we gotta dive in this a little bit more because I just went glamping with my wife in the Grand Canyon. And let's just say we're completely opposite. I can't even start a fire when they give me a fire starter. <laughs> and here you are throwing down 650-pound elk. Wow, man, with a spear. So you're like, you're standing away from a distance. You're old caveman and boom, so it, got him.
1: Yeah, so, so imagine an arrow but about six feet long. And a much heavier arrow point on it, and this is all Stone Age tools. But the adalotes are the darts are about six feet long, and then you've got a little launcher you hold in your hand, and you, it gives you this mechanical advantage to launch these things. And they have the um, the impact of like a 270 to a 306 rifle if they're properly thrown. Like they're they're remarkably effective, and it, it's what humans used before we developed um, bow and arrow technology.
0: Unbelievable. I'm going to pay good money to get you and our mutual friend Ben Greenfield together and just go at it in a survival race, spear the biggest animals. Dude, that would be amazing television. Okay, cool. So you are uh, my role model before this, Rob, but now you're even more so. And on the podcast, we talk we talk to people about uh, the success that they've had, but before that, when they felt stuck in a situation, before they reached the level they're at, did you have a time in your life when you – Felt stuck, and you had to make a pivot to be able to achieve your breakthrough of what you are doing today.
1: Yeah, I mean, multiple times. So we started off co-founding the first and fourth CrossFit affiliate gyms in the in the world, and had a a fair amount of success in that space. Uh, Our gym, NorCal Strength and Conditioning, was picked as one of Men's Health' top thirty gyms in America. So we we had some pretty good cachet going with that, but. I reached a point as much as I enjoyed like that clinical practice and having people in, in the gym. Um, there's only so much reach you can, you can get with that, you know? And I had been doing a, a uh, like an eight hour seminar all around the world, talking about this kind of paleo nutrition, evolutionary biology and everything. And I've been doing that for a number of years. And I had this, um, this kind of guidebook that I would provide to attendees that just kept getting bigger and bigger. And then one day a friend of mine who ironically works for, uh, uh victory bell publishing, but which used to only do MMA instructionals and Jiu-Jitsu instructionals and stuff like that. But he was like, you should publish a book. And I, I was kind of noodling on it. And I'm like, well, I've, I've got a pretty good head start on this thing. And so I really, um, I wouldn't say abandoned, but I had to completely take a 90 degree turn, to get into this book writing thing. And fortunately my wife is a very good strength and conditioning coach. And so she was able to take over the, the operations of the gym, both the front end and, and largely the back end, to allow me the space to be able to write this book. It's a, once you really commit to, to writing a book, it's a good six month to a year process, I think for, for most people. And I mean like that is your full time gig and it, it, in the, the challenger is carving out the time peripheral to everything else. Like if I'm still running the gym, you're in the gym, you know, somewhere between four and eight hours a day, and then you're doing all the maintenance and upkeep on it. And then what time is left to, to do something like a book. So that was, that was pretty big. And that was probably our our first big pivot. The book became a New York times bestseller and a little bit of a unicorn, like for a, a first time author and in a genre that didn't exist before this, like there was no paleo diet genre before my my book was released. Like that's really what what started that whole genre, and it's been over a million copy bestseller. So it, it you know it's a pretty unique thing. And then I started up a, a podcast back in two thousand ten, which for that time was fairly new. And so we really shifted from a primarily brick and mortar focused you know business to. A, a dual purpose we had both brick and mortar presence and also this online presence with a blog a podcast and then this this book and we've had a good number of other pivots but that was maybe one of the the largest and most uh significant that we've had for sure
0: rob you know what just came to me as i heard you say that too is that you are a visionary because think about it you like that's why i think that these these TV shows you see like Squid Games does so well because it's something the first of its time. You create this book, mm-hmm. you create, you basically like the 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 trendsetter for paleo, the trendsetter for CrossFit. Like you create element with something's better than Gatorade. Like you're seen somehow, you are seeing steps ahead of everybody else, and you are not afraid to take a risk to take a take a chance on this. Is there something? Is there like
1: well, and we've had a
0: yeah, go ahead. We've
1: had a lot of stuff crater. Um, in 2007, we had a frozen meals delivered company that was all grass-fed meat and organic f- produce. And we had a, a pretty wealthy um, partner in this this scene uh, who's in the food distribution space. So this guy had trucks and storage and, and all of this stuff. But we were like 10 years early. Like uh, people buying food online just wasn't happening in 2010 you know right, and even right. the the whole notion of like grass-fed meat being valuable you know this paleo diet thing was beginning but it was definitely nowhere near its its apex so we we, we didn't lose money on that but it, it definitely didn't make money um my wife had an idea for a meat bar and a meat chip which uh, we met the founders of of epic provisions and and became pretty good friends with them but we showed them the the recipe that Nikki had spun up on three of our bars. And they were like, dude, this is identical to what we used. And those guys were acquired by um, General Mills for $280 million, something like that. a Really significant acquisition. But at the time that we were spinning this stuff up, if you had a meat-based product, there were no co-packers that existed in the United States that were also gluten-free if they were gluten-free, then they didn't deal with meat. So we were again, a good like eight to 10 years early. So being early and being a visionary is good, but um, you really need a good sense of timing also. Like we we've had a couple of things that, you know, in, in retrospect have gone well, we definitely saw a market opportunity, but if you're so early to the, to the game, um, you know, are you going to spend eight years waiting it out until it actually becomes a market? Do you get in and try to create the market itself so that there's, you know, there's the awareness and everything to to buy this stuff? So I, I will, um, I, I appreciate the, the accolade and I, it is a little bit of my, one of my super skills. Like I told Greg Glassman 10 years before he would get his 10,000th uh, uh, affiliate and I was within three months of it. And, and, you know, and I just did some back of the envelope projections around like, how many strip mall karate places are there? What's the population, you know, did, just did a little bit of spread, uh, spreadsheet stuff and a, a pretty good rate of growth. And he just laughed at me. He's like, there's never going to be 10,000 CrossFit affiliates, like nobody was more surprised by the success of CrossFit than uh, its own founder, Greg Glassman. And, and I was Certain there, it would be much larger than that and was pretty pretty bang on with when I thought that there would be 10,000 affiliates. Oh,
0: First off, Rob, I am but high. It,
1: but it can sometimes bite in the ass, yeah. too. You know, you're, you're just too early and yeah,
0: yeah. It's true, but if you don't take that chance, you never know and most people will. Everybody For has sure. an idea. Everybody has an idea, but to actually yep. put action to the idea, not just thinking differently, but doing differently... That's powerful, man. So I am hiring you as my life coach. We're going to talk offline. I want to know what I'm doing next and everything. But no, like, think about this, man. Like, I didn't know you know we were going to go this way on this, but, but you created, you. I mean, you basically started, like, this religion or what you want to call as CrossFit, as as paleo. Like, that is, I mean, that's just amazing. That's, that's just as genius as it is, not not being afraid to take these chances and take these risks. Is it? Is it something that you cognitively? work on? Like, is it part of your studies? Like, what do you, let's just go through this. So so what are your non-negotiables that you're doing on a daily basis, your habits, your process that just Mm. make you the freaking superstar you are?
1: You know, a macro level, this stuff has been cool because like, even when I was in CrossFit I really enjoyed it. And I was, I was a good front man for it. And for the paleo movement, I, I think, um, I try to be as honest as I can. I try to think, find things that I believe in and, and I don't need to spin a lot of stories. Also, I'm really good about couching things in. This is the best of my understanding today. And then if things change, then like I'll, I'll update my position. I'm like, Oh, I had this thing totally wrong. Like I thought that this it was X and it was actually Y. And so, um, I think that in general, I've been able to, to build some credibility around that. And, and, uh, when you believe in something and also when something has some, uh, fairly rapid benefit for people, like people change their diet and they start feeling better. They start working out and they get the community like they do in CrossFit. Like the, the results are really, really immediate elements cool in that regard, because if you're electrolyte deficient and you're feeling like garbage, you take someone like five or 10 minutes later, you feel good. So it's this really nice, you know, beneficial synergy on that. And, you know, I'm not, I I guess I have a little bit of a, like a daily process. We have two kids, seven and nine years old, two daughters. And so that introduces a little bit of randomization into the equation. We're homeschooling also. So like my day is definitely very um, segmented, but I get up and try to do if I'm going to do any type of creative work, like reading a research paper, trying to trying to think about uh, just different ideas. And really, I, I try to read in health and nutrition for sure, but like economics, history, physics, like I try to pull from a lot of different areas because I'll get inspiration from something that doesn't seem related to health and wellness, but I can I can pull in a parallel and, and maybe tell a story around that. But I really try to do that stuff early in the day. Like that just seems to be when my my gears are, are really turning on that. And I try to push all of the uh, non-negotiable but but kind of menial stuff to later in the day, basic email and any type of like social media curation that that I need to do. Like I can kind of be on autopilot at that point and kind of smoked and and I can still pull that off. Um, I try to get some type of physical movement around noon or one o'clock each day, maybe three or four days a week. That's going to Brazilian jujitsu. Um, my wife is into that and, um, the, the two daughters are into jujitsu, but their class is a little bit later. So like, that's a big piece of what we do. Um, tried to take dog for a hike, get outside, all that type of stuff. But I mean, I'm not one of these, uber regimented folks like I I kind of like a little bit of I like some structure but I like things being open-ended enough that like if I get an idea I I would like to be able to just clear out the schedule clear out the time and really go deep on that because when you've been doing this stuff for like 23 years you you come up with I think early in one's career you come up with some kind of big heavy-hitting ideas but then at some point unless you I've never been the person that either um like God bless Barry Sears. He's a great guy. He's the guy that wrote the the zone book and he he's contributed a lot to the world, but he had the zone. Then he had mastering the zone and then he had like the green bean zone and then the string bean zone and then the soybean zone, you know, and it, it was, it was like exactly the same stuff with just this tiny little tweak on it, you know? And I just had, I, I find that so uninteresting and I'm still the idiot that writes my own books. Like somebody else doesn't like sit down and, interview me and ghostwrite them. Like I'm actually the person that writes them. So if I'm, it's enough pain that I actually want to do something interesting and like the process of learning and everything is interesting. So again, I kind of benefit from some structure, but at the same time, if I get excited about something, I want to be able to just go deep on it because finding new ideas that aren't just like saying ridiculous stuff, you know, it is tough at some point, like, We've got this basic template of, of uh, nutrition, you know, be protein forward, figure out if you run better on carbs or fat or a combo. Be aware that some foods can be kind of immunogenically challenging, like gluten and dairy, like it can irritate your gut and some people and cause some other problems. And that's almost like 98% of all of nutrition right there. Like all the complexity, all these different studies and everything, but that's, that's most of nutrition. So if I still want to have something valid to say about it, like I, I need to put some thought into it. So I'm not just like spinning off what, what I would consider to be garbage. Um, One of my great terrors is to be the the nutritional equivalent of like an 80s hairband that should have requ- retired in 1991. And they're still doing like the next reunion show in like 2001 or something. And I, I, I would just be horrified with that like I would way rather just like pack up shop become a farmer do like anything else versus just like bleeding this thing with a a bunch of bullshit so I think that that's actually kind of a a major guiding light that if I can't provide some legit value um and still be like honest and forthright and everything then I'm done like it's time to change change gears change careers and all that stuff
0: bingo that is the nail on the head right there for the drive and what you've been able to create. Yeah, I mean, I almost went to a Rolling Stones concert a couple weeks ago, and I'm glad I didn't, because that would have been the equivalent of what you exactly just said.
1: But Yeah, uh, the Rolling Stones might be a little different. There there might uh, I dunno. There there might be still some some upside there. You know yeah. what you know what you're like though?
0: And here's here's the analogy I'm gonna use. So I went to a Dave Matthews concert, and I expected Dave Matthews mm. to be singing all the songs that I know, and I was ready for that they just went up there and they jammed. They're like, Let me, you know, I, they, I know they're mm. up there like, Hey, let's try something new. Let's do this. And like, I hadn't heard any of their songs before. So I respect the heck out of people who have been super successful in different areas. And then are like, I don't want to just do the same thing. Like life's not fun. If you're not creating, if you're not pushing the needle, if you're not trying to show people a new paradigm that, that can actually happen. So yes, love that man. Number one, your family is a badass family. You're doing jiu-jitsu. I want you guys as my bodyguards. Like I can't. I told you, I can't even start a fire. There's, uh, yeah, I'm not a handyman. <laughs> I'm coming to live with you. Tell my wife that you're adopting me. Uh, but let's get into Element. You talked about Element, and I have yep. been a, a massive fan of Element for years. And just on like the immense benefits of the electrolytes that going from the sports world, being an NBA coach, you hear Gatorade, Powerade, Chug It, it's good for you and then hearing no understanding, like, no, it's horrible for you. And actually, Element is giving you the benefits of what those are supposed to give you, and more, and good for you, and taste good. So let's just give the audience a rundown of why they need Element in their life.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's a lot to unpack. Like, it, it honestly is, and we didn't have the four years ago, we weren't setting out to become like salt moguls, like selling people salt. But we figured out that that certainly within a certain demographic, like people who are cleaning up their diet, particularly if they're kind of eating a little more on the lower carb side of things. um, There's this gnarly transition period, they call it the keto flu, where people have low, low energy, brain fog, lethargy, fatigue. And it's a pretty horrific deal. Like take your, your kind of gnarly experience of a a hangover and then stretch it out for days or weeks. And this is oftentimes what what people experience when they do some significant dietary tinkering. And so is it any wonder, in addition to all the other difficulty of changing one's nutrition, that if you feel like garbage, you're like, forget it, I'm done, you know, I'm, I'm out. And so we I had been aware of some of this stuff, but this is where surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you was really important. I started hanging out with these two guys, Tyler Cartwright and Luis Villasenor, who were co-founders of of uh, Element, but they had also founded this platform called Keto Gains. They have a couple of hundred thousand people on Facebook that they they put through these keto diet-based body recomposition challenges where people lose body fat, gain muscle mass. It's a mix of men and women, but more by far more women than men. And like, they just get these stunning results with people. And what, what the, it's a long story, but the the long and short of it is that they pay as much attention to electrolytes as they do protein, carbs, fat, and calories. Like this electrolyte piece is just this totally non-negotiable feature of the program that they're doing. And when people get on point with electrolytes, It's just magic happens. And uh, for the guy who owns the salt company to tell you, you need to buy salt. It seems kind of self-serving, but if folks have any type of a a exercise science background, if you think back to the way the Krebs cycle works, the way that we produce energy in our body for every muscle contraction, every nerve impulse, it's driven by sodium potassium pumps. And if you were off in sodium in particular, or electrolytes in general, You just don't work properly. We are an electrochemical engine, and the electrochemical engine has certain operating parameters. And if those parameters get off by very much, you can get sick or you can die. If somebody ends up in the emergency room, the two things that the emergency room physician looks at first, arguably, I mean, beyond pulse and breathing, you know, (laughs) it's like, what's their pH? And what's their electrolyte status? Because if pH or electrolyte status get off by just a little bit, the person can die. And before that, if electrolyte or, or pH is off, people will feel like garbage and, and their physical performance is very, very diminished. So I became aware personally that the electrolyte piece of my my activities was really lacking. And when I fixed this thing, the cool thing about the electrolyte story is if somebody's feeling off, if they just go swig some pickle juice or they take some element or they eat 10 olives or whatever, they get a gram of sodium in their body, 10 minutes later, they're like, oh, my God, I feel way better. I don't need the cup of coffee. I don't need the, you know, the monster, what, you, you know, whatever energy drink. I would just electrolyte deficient. So from a business perspective, it's really cool because we have this really tight feedback loop. Somebody says, I'm not feeling that great. You give them a stick of element, they mix it in a in a jug, they drink some, and then like 10 minutes later, you're like, How are you doing? They're like, Man, I feel great. I just did a workout and I got a great pump. And I, you know, I had really good cardio and everything. Whereas I've taken so many nutritional supplements over the years. And even with creatine, like I read all the studies on creatine. Creatine's good for you. It's neuroprotective, it's an antioxidant, it improves performance. But I'm like, I don't really know if this is doing anything, you know, I take it because people tell me it's good for, them, but I don't really notice it, you know, whey protein and stuff like that's the same thing. All the studies say it's good for you, but it's kind of like, I don't know, like a tuna fish sandwich might've been just as good. I, I, I really don't know, you know, it, 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 it's kind of uh, weird that way. But like, if you are electrolyte deficient, it, it is so profoundly obvious once you address that. So that's been kind of a, a cool element to this whole, you know, business development story, because it's got this really tight feedback loop. And one of our, our biggest endeavors has just been giving product away, like police, military, firefighters, we have this thing called the give assault program, where people nominate folks who are doing good work in their community, whether it's coaches or nurses, or, you know, wh- whatever. And if we give some product away, people try it. And then they're like, this is awesome. And then they end up buying more like it, 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 our best marketing tool has just been giving product away. So we don't have to tell any, we don't have magic salt. Like our salt just comes from this this mine in upstate New York and it's just sodium chloride and there's no magical, you know, mineral composition that comes from the tears of llamas in <laughs> Nepal or something like that. Like it's just salt, it's just potassium, it's just magnesium. They taste really good. And the the ratio of like sodium to potassium to magnesium I think is smartly formulated based off of what people are missing from their standard diet but there's no other magic to that and still to this day we really actively promote a a free make it your own keto guide where you if you don't want to buy element then make your own stuff and just make sure that you address your electrolyte needs and being able to be um education focused and outcome focused has made us a really successful company. And that's been really cool. And I honestly, I would say that that's similar to my experience with CrossFit and similar to kind of the, the paleo diet experience where it's like my greasy used car salesman pitch with, um, kind of paleo stuff is give it a shot for 30 days, see how you look, feel and perform. If you like it, keep doing it. If you don't do something else, you know, and, and by and large, when people did a 30 day challenge, maybe they weren't like. Perfect afterwards, but they're like, I recognize the importance of protein. I recognize the importance of like finding the proper carbohydrate level for me. But their whole game kind of took a step up. And this has been similar with Element. You know, it started from me trying to figure out my own performance limitations around kind of lower carb diets, recognizing that my struggle was virtually everybody's struggle in this space. And then uh, along the way, we've noticed that virtually everybody. Is, is in this kind of electrolyte depleted state particularly within athletics like we've we've been able to look behind the curtain with um like some nhl teams and some of these big dudes in in hockey and i'm sure it's it's in other sports but for whatever reason they've been really good at quantifying this stuff these guys will lose 10 pounds of water in a game or a, sure. a practice yeah. and they'll lose 10 grams of sodium with that 10,000 milligrams of sodium and if they don't replenish that, like these guys are crushed. Their their heart rate variability scores go into the tank. Um, they they don't sleep well. They don't recover properly. So the uh, the electrolyte piece has just been this really nice virtuous cycle where we, we just encourage people to try it. And trying it can be buying it. It could be making it your own or just trying to get it all from dietary sources. But then when we give people good advice that benefits them, then they're like, those guys are pretty cool. I like them. And then we, we get this nice virtuous cycle with that.
0: I encourage everyone listening to try it. Literally just try it. Rob says try it for a month, but you try it for a couple of days. I guarantee you will like it. You guys know that I'm a big believer in it. And there's very, very few things that I put into my life and keep it there as a staple every single day. Coffee element, my wife. That's literally the three things, you know? God, right there, there it is. What do you need beyond that? You really don't need anything more. And you know what? I think you gave me my next idea as you being my new life coach. I'm going to go to Nepal and get the Tears of Llamas and start selling that. I love that idea. That's the next thing.
1: It, it will be the game changer <laughs> in the, uh, the element space for sure. Yeah.
0: No, but I, myself as an athlete and working with NBA teams and NBA players, like everybody thinks like, oh, they're drinking Gatorade. They're drinking Powerade. No, they're not. They are not. They understand the optimization is not in pouring a bunch of sugar down your throat. It is a magnesium, potassium, sodium with the salt that gives you the benefits. So, yes, that was a very, very in-depth – well-rounded answer. If you not want to check out Element after this, then I can't help you get out of here. There's something wrong with you. But no, Rob, having you on this podcast and letting my letting my audience know you're coming on, everybody wanted to know what is the deal with keto, carnivore, paleo, the ideal diet. And I know this can be this can be a conversation, it can be a day conversation in itself. So to debunk the myth, myths of myths where you see people on Instagram calling themselves calling their liver man and looking jacked like what what's the best approach to have if you could say
1: really the one that folks are going to stick with it, at the end of the day and I know that that's kind of a schmarmy non answer but all of these all of these things what do the does veganism paleo carnivore? What do these things all have in common? You're excluding certain things. And as, as much of a rash as that gives to like dietitians and the standard dietetics model, like the, if you go into a, a, a department of nutritional dietetics, those people are terrified at suggesting that we should limit some food groups. What they think you need to do is eat anything you want and just limit the, purport, the amount that you consume. And in a modern, hyper-palatable, engineered food environment, like what's the Lay's potato chip tagline? Bet you can't eat just one. And I'll take that bet all fucking day long. Like I, and they, they just keep winning. And, and this is where um, dieticians, although well-intentioned, uh, there's a, a really brilliant woman, Gretchen Rubin, who who uh, yeah. the the four tendencies and and uh, uh, she talks about like abstainers versus moderators as kind of a personality type. When she's done research on this, dietitians are 98% moderators. They're people who are like they can have one Oreo cookie and put the the cookie bag back in the the cabinet and not go to it until the next day when they get their one law cookie. Now, I think these people also have wardrobes made out of human skins because these people are so weird that they must be like a serial killer also. But like the the reality, though, is that at best, 50% of the population is a moderator. And even on the moderation versus like some people, they just can't have it. And for me, I'm not really that that motivated by sweet stuff like cookies and everything. Yeah, they're good. But I've never met a plate of nachos. I didn't like, and I've been in front of some pretty horrible nachos, but like I eat them all. If you get me some, um, that kettle corn that is sweet, salty, and crunchy, it doesn't matter how big the bag is, you know, like there is no off switch on that. There's no moderating that. If I have a bag of kettle corn in my house, I'm going to eat it all. And so, you know, again, whether it's paleo or vegan or all, you know, the one thing that these things have in common is they're kind of limiting food options to some degree. If you can weigh and measure your food and you can eat a quarter of a Twinkie and that keeps you within your macronutrient ratios, great. But from like kind of a public health standpoint and and helping the masses, I just don't see that really helping all that much. And so these other approaches that kind of narrow options, I think empower people, oddly enough, I, I think it's more, liberating because it's like I just need to stay within these these lane lines and usually what happens a couple of months or maybe a year goes by and people figure out if I keep protein adequate which I think is really the biggie like and almost nobody's eating adequate protein a lot of people are fearful of eating protein and I think that this is so much of the problem that we get but once people figure out how to eat adequate protein they usually then figure out oh These carbs probably do a little better for me than these carbs, or maybe I run a little bit better on fat. Maybe I do protein, nuts, and some berries for a lot of my my meals or, you know, whatever it is. But they usually start with one of these kind of extreme resets, and then they kind of migrate towards something that looks a little bit more normal and a little bit more mainstream. But they, you know, if they've gotten some benefit from this kicking the tires on something, they usually get kind of a quantum shift. They kind of move a little bit more in a protein-centric, whole food kind of kind of orientation. And, you know, what, one thing to keep in mind for a lot of people who end up, say, like in carnivore land, these people have a lot of gut issues. Like they have a lot of GI problems and whatnot, and they've maybe tried everything, standard medicine, you know, colonoscopies, all this stuff, and then they go carnivore, and all of a sudden, for the first time maybe in 20 or 30 years, they have normal bowel function. They're, they're not in constant pain. They don't have have all this gas and bloating. And those are the people that can become, they, they become like carnivore dude, 609, you know, like their whole persona is wrapped up in this because it really changed their life. Now it's kind of cringe worthy because you're like, okay, that's not going to age well, like in three or four years. But, but you also, I think we have to step back and kind of acknowledge the individuality. Like the person was sick. They figured out something that worked for them. And now they're motoring forward and, and kind of, you know, figuring out maybe some latitude with it.
0: Oh, so much good stuff to unpack there. Paul Saladino, very good friend of mine. And now he's even going to the more paleo approach, which is a uh, mm-hmm. great, mm-hmm. great point to what you made. And you know what? Like, to your to your point with the, with the Gretchen Rubin and, and being able to, you know, like, turn it off, not take the whole, like, eat the whole thing. Mark Sisson had t- taught me that. Like, you just have one bite of dessert. And you can be okay. But I find myself going to Jenny's ice cream. They give me like six scoops and I want to just eat one scoop. I'm like, you know what? I, I, I can't do it. So I either need to not do it. I'm not a moderator. Yep. I'm a, I'm a all in type of guy, Rob. You're not going to find any, any, yep. uh, 80, 20 about me. It's a hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Mark's a better person than I am. Like I can't do, but <laughs> if, if I want to eat the tough, dessert, brother. I'm going to eat the whole That's dessert. Tough. And it doesn't really matter what the size of it is. Is it the whole cake? Is it, you know, whatever. And so I don't moderate well either. And I would argue the vast majority of people don't moderate all that well. And and uh, it gets tough to navigate like the modern food environment. You know, what do you do? Well, I recommend people don't keep that stuff at home. If you want a dessert, eat eat it when you're out at dinner and stuff like that. And, you know, you create some firewalls. This is just an interesting aside, there was a, a well done study looking at the consumption rates of people eating peanut M&Ms, which I think are amazing. And, and again, not really an off switch for me, but they had three different setups with this. They had one setup where the peanut M&Ms were immediately on the person's desktop. Like they're, they're in an office work setting. They could reach out, grab a handful, pop them in their mouth. And, and they tracked how, how many they ate the next group of people, It was at their desk, but the person had to scoot out their chair, open up a drawer, reach down into the drawer, pull out some peanut M&Ms, close the drawer, you know, get back to work. And then the third one was that people had to do like a walk of shame across the office and there was a bowl of peanut M&Ms in one spot. And so just simply putting the peanut M&Ms in the drawer cut the consumption by more than 50% relative to it being directly on the desktop. And then it dropped it by like 80 to 90% when you had to walk across the office and people would haze you. They're like, I know what you're going to, you know, and and all this type of stuff. So the takeaway with that is that if we even introduce a little bit of roadblocks or speed bumps to enacting these negative habits, then that, that can slow them down. The flip side of that is true. This is why people end up bailing on on diets or or exercise plans if they get too many roadblocks in the way then it, it can be onerous enough that they end up not enacting the the new behavior and they're they're able to just keep once you make a habit to something it's like you make it to the gym it doesn't matter what the weather is or what happens you know it's like i'm going to the gym no matter what but until you really ingrain that habit it's very easy to get derailed from it But we can use that understanding of our psychology to work for us on on both sides of it. It it can cut both ways to our benefit.
0: Oh, yes. And then controlling your environment. That's so powerful, man. I love that you talked about that point. And I would nominate you to run the country's health crisis. We could have a whole conversation on this of, you know what? This whole pandemic going on right now could literally be controlled by... The health choices that we make by being proactive instead of reactive and all this health care money spent. But that's that's another rabbit hole. I digress on that. I mean, just just listen to what Rob is saying about nutrition. I mean, look at the dude like we're talking offline. He's got veins popping out of everywhere. So you look good. You feel good. I mean, come on.
1: The liposuction is working. The liposuction is working <laughs> yeah. really well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, but I want to throw you on the rapid fire hot seat as we wind down here. So this is any quick answer that comes to your mind. It can be a word. It can be a sentence. But what's, what's next for you, Rob? What, is, what juices you up when you wake up every morning? This is a, like, I am excited to ask you this question because you are a visionary. So what's next?
1: Uh, I don't know if I can. Uh, I'm going to tilt this thing over here. Sacred cow. So I'm I'm pretty geeked out on like the regenerative ag space. And I wrote a book and and co-produced a a movie talking about regenerative agriculture. And we look at the uh, health, environmental, and ethical considerations of a meat inclusive food system. Folks have a lot of concerns around climate change and rightfully so, but I, I think that we're being given a very incomplete story about the role that animals play in that kind of climate change story. So as everything else progresses, this is definitely one of the areas that I'm I'm working pretty hard to be able to have a nuanced discussion around the role that animals play in this climate change story.
0: Oh man, I, I love that. There there's the next vision there. I'm gonna I'm gonna dive deeper into that when we get offline here. That's that's super cool, brother. Super cool. What uh what does leaving a legacy look like to you? Rob, not not necessarily what everybody would say if you're on a big billboard, you're famous. But what does leaving a legacy look like to Rob Wolf?
1: Man, it, you know, if uh, if some historian someday could trace back like some really beneficial trends, whether it's health or sociopolitical or whatever, that would. And they're like, oh, this guy ended up, you know, being this hub of a network that that did some cool stuff. That would be awesome. And then just you know, closer to home. Um, not fucking up my kids would be great. Like if they end up being, you know, whole functioning humans and they don't write a tell-all story that's like, my dad was an asshole and he didn't feed me cookies and, you know, like... Like if, if I can have a a wonderful lifelong relationship with my kids and stay really tight with them, that honestly, like that would be my, my penultimate, uh, uh, legacy play at this point, you know, like the bigger picture stuff is, is great. And I continue to want to work in that. But my main focus is, is my family at this point,
0: man, that's the best answer. And trust me, you are leaving a legacy on a ton of people. So that's not even a worry you have to have. All right, fun one for you here. We're having a dinner party. You're at the table. You get to invite three guests, dead or alive, people that you want to interact with, learn from, just hang with. Who are you inviting to this dinner, and what are you eating? What is your go-to? I know we got the kettle corn. We got some nachos, but what else?
1: Well, we're definitely having steak, but Ah. we'll probably do surf and turf because I like a little seafood too. So the, the dinner part is easy, although funny enough also I would like a good soup. Like if I ever had to be one of the questions I've I've been asked a time or two is, uh, you're on death row and what's your final meal? And I love soup and it doesn't almost doesn't even matter what soup it is. I, I I'm just a big soup guy, man, but the, the people I would want to hang out with, um, it sounds kind of funny, but, um, my wife, and probably two of my best friends, you know, like my my buddy Jason, and then one of my jujitsu coaches, or you know, one of maybe their significant others. Like I, I I know that that's maybe a short sighted deal, but um, those are the people who provide the greatest joy to my life, and and uh, I know for a fact I'm going to enjoy that meal. So, you know, not not uh, you know. Jesus and Muhammad and all kinds of things kind of come to mind, but I I would probably keep it closer to home and it would be my wife and a couple of good friends.
0: I like that answer even better because you know, you get, I mean, that's what you said it. That's what brings you joy. Being around, I know I'm
1: going to enjoy that one. Like, guaranteed, Mm. I know that's going to be a good time. Mm. Yeah. Intentional
0: time is quality. I love it, man. Okay. How can we all support everything you were doing, Rob? Find you? Where do we search for you? Where do we stalk Rob Wolf? Basically, tell us all.
1: so drinkelement.com is the element website and i actually do a ton of writing for element like we have innumerable blogs on fasting ketogenic diets general sports nutrition hydration obviously robwolf.com is kind of my my main hub and i do have social media accounts but i mainly write stuff and have my assistant post it and and that's it i'm i'm thinking about spinning up like a uh, a substack or something because i want to have interaction with folks, but I'm, I'm really, I've been noodling a lot on, I don't really want to provide value content to these tech platforms that are kind of pitting us against one another. And also their, their censorship stuff and everything. I think that they were really remarkable opportunity for bringing people together. And, and then the, um, the optimization of their algorithms apparently is pitting us against one another. And I I think that the results of that could be catastrophic. So I still want to contribute value to the world, but I'm going to try to do it in a way like podcasts, I think are a great venue and then probably spinning up a, a sub stack so that I've got a little bit of control over the dissemination of, of that material at that point. Yeah.
0: Love, love, love that point. Because think about it. We're playing on somebody else's platform. And when social media, Facebook and Instagram went down a couple weeks ago, people are like, oh, my gosh, everything I work for is gone. It could take it away in a heartbeat. They control all of it. Like sometimes you get thousands and thousands of views and then somebody get two. like it's I, I love that you're creating your own platform. People come to you for you and you're not renting space. So big time. Right. Big time, Rob. I'm. I got to focus more on that too. So thank you for that reminder. Okay, last question we have before you let we let you off this podcast, and I'm not even gonna say goodbye anything like that. This is just straight. Drop the mic. First of all, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on, Rob. Like it's been a long time coming. I'm like, a massive fan of yours, and just getting to know you as the human being you are. Just thank man, you. It, it, honestly, like I'm not even just saying that to hype you up. Like it, it, it's even it's 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 cool when you like. You get to talk to these just super wise, super great people. And then they're a badass, cool dude on top of it. I mean, like throwing axes too. I mean, that just spiced it in there as well. But anyways, one piece of advice to drop the mic for somebody who is feeling stuck in the situation they're in in life right now, cannot see out of it, completely blocked. How do they just make this little, how do they make this pivot and be able to find their breakthrough?
1: thinking two things. I I had a conversation with a a friend the other day and uh, perspective is huge. Mm. And I think that this is where having a good peer group is, is valuable. Um, When we are stewing in our own juices, we have no perspective. Like we can't really see easily ourselves and where we plug into things. And I think people that, that love us and care about us and their advice isn't always on point, but oftentimes they provide enough perspective so that we can go back and, and reflect on that. So I, I don't know if it's perspective or community or, you know, have a, a community that you trust that, but being able to, to look at ourselves through the eyes of other folks is, is really valuable. And I know this is p- going to supposed to be succinct, but I suck at that. But the, the other thought in that is um, never, ever, ever give up. Like the only time you fail is when you, when you give up, but be willing to pivot, like, and, and it's difficult to know when to let go, but there's this, uh, there's this way of catching monkeys that, that where they'll put a piece of fruit in a jar. It's got a small opening. They tie the jar to a tree. The monkey will go put its hand in the jar and then it grabs the piece of fruit and it can't get its hand out. And then you crack the monkey on the head and you've got monkey soup or, you know, whatever you, whatever you want to do with it. And so, um, tenacity is great but being willing to pivot and let go but that doesn't mean you failed it doesn't mean you gave up but you know recognizing that like okay the return on investment with what I'm doing just isn't there like it's not panning out but you maybe have a different idea and you you change tack a little bit um that can be amazing you know and and again uh the only you can't fail if you don't give up but at the same time people can hang on to things way longer than what they they should. And and, uh, had they pivoted and been more dynamic or a little more flexible, then it, it could have saved them a lot of suffering.
0: Mike is dropped. Never, ever, ever give up and make monkey soup. Thanks, Rob Wolf. You're the man.